this wilderness won't last forever. Trust me. The Savior would say to many of our searching hearts, perhaps on this morning, this wilderness, this wilderness will not last forever. Trust me. Are you in a hard place this morning? Are you in a barren place? Are you in a place that may have some dangers instead of being known for safety? Are you in a place that's marked by extremes rather than comforts, a place of scarcity rather than a place of plenty. Those are descriptive terms of a wilderness in the Bible sense, a place where there is movement and there is activity, but there's no real sense of direction toward a goal. Accomplishment, movement toward the desired end. This wilderness will not last forever. Trust me. As a child of God, someone who has opened your heart up, not to religion in general or God in general, but you have opened your heart up to Jesus Christ in particular. And you have said to him in your own way at some point in time in your life, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. You know I'm a sinner. I've broken your laws, some by accident, some just flat out on purpose. I'm a sinner. But the best I know, I have put my trust, I am putting my trust in your death in my place on that cross 2,000 years ago so that I could be forgiven of my sins. And I want you to come into my heart and live in my heart. I, I don't need God on the outside. What I really need is God, your power on the inside of me. So I read that verse where you said, Behold, I stand at the door of a person's heart and I knock on the door of that heart. And you said, If anybody will hear my voice, and open the door. You said, Lord, I will come into him, to her, and will live with him. And Lord, that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to come into me, come into my heart and live in me. You did that at some point in the past. Or maybe that's the cry of your heart right now as you hear me go through that, as we call it, the sinner's prayer, the sinner's cry. And you're wanting that to happen. You can right where you sit, right where you're listening, that can happen to you. He can come into your life. He can come into your heart right where you are. But isn't it amazing how when we've done that and things are great and rich and rich in the sense of our, our hearts are, are filled with joy and there's a sense of peace. It's not unusual that not too long after that, following Jesus the best we know, trusting him with our whole lives for whatever reason, at least unknown to us, all the depth of it, we can find ourselves in a wilderness, 
following him, loving him, trusting him, doing our best to obey him, but finding ourselves in a hard place as opposed to an easy place, a severe place maybe instead of a comfortable place, maybe even a dangerous place instead of what it would seem to be a safe place. Did we miss God? Did we, did, did, we just, did we just miss a turn here somewhere? Are we away from God? Has he forgotten about us? Brothers and sisters in Jesus, followers of Jesus, church of the living God, understand this, my brother, my sister. The wilderness is not a place of punishment. The wilderness is a place of preparation. Wilderness for the child of God. Wilderness for the follower of the Lord is a place of preparation and not punishment. Now I want you to open your copy of the scripture back to that old book that we spent some time in last week, the book of Deuteronomy. And we were focusing last week on the Lord's statement to our heart, trust me, I'm bringing you to a good place. But before there was the good place for the children of Israel, there was the wilderness season in their lives. And we look at that today. I'm bringing you to a good place, but I'm bringing you to the good place by way of the wilderness season. Trust me, this wilderness will not last forever. Now, I need to remind you, um, as we... We're going to read, starting in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that the children of Israel, to whom Moses is addressing these words, none of them except for Caleb and his family, Joshua and his family, and Moses' family, none of them other than those three groups were present when the Red Sea Parted, at least adults. The children were in place, but they weren't fully aware of all that was going on. This group that Moses is speaking to, the ones who are on the brink of stepping into the visual, material fulfillment of God's promises for generations to the children of Israel. They are standing now on the brink of inheriting the promises of God. But these are not the ones who were the leadership of families and homes and tribal groups as they came out of Israel, out of, out of Egypt, excuse me, and they crossed the Red Sea and they had seen all of the powerful works of God to prove to Pharaoh and the Egyptians you need to let my people go. That group, we referenced them last week, but it's very important to remember, that group of people had a chance after just a few weeks in the wilderness to move right on into the land of Canaan and possess the promise of God. And they came up to that place called Kadesh Barnea, kind of a gateway on the southern end of the land of Canaan. And it was there that they sent out those 12 tribes, one spy, sent out the 12 spies, one spy from each of the 12 tribes. Caleb and Joshua were the two that we remember. But the other 10 walked through the land for 40 days. And they saw what they saw, and they came back and reported it is as advertised. It's an incredible land. It's fertile. It's fruitful. It's amazing in its diversity. But here is the problem. There are giants in the land. 
And the giants have built these massively thick walled cities. And we're not warriors to even be able to cope with those giants. It's impossible for us. Look who we are. We're just a group of slaves. It's impossible for us to go in and possess this land and rout those people from their cities and their, their land. We can't do it. We can't do it. All we are is slaves. That's all we are. That's all we'll ever be. Let's just turn around and go back to Egypt and become slaves again and live out our pitiful little limited destiny as slaves. Caleb and Joshua were the only two out of the 12. I said, wait a minute. That's not who we are. If that's all we had ever been, then God would have left us in Egypt to be just a bunch of slaves and never dream of anything beyond that, never move into something more. But that's not who we are. Look what our God did for us. Look how he broke the back of one of the strongest material military forces in the world at that time, Pharaoh's army, probably Ramses II, the builder of the pyramids. And he brought us out with his mighty right arm. And what he did for us then was just a token, just an expression of what he will do for us if we trust him. Let's trust him. Let's trust him. Let's go. God will fight for us. And, but they were shouted down. And as a result of the decision of the majority that we will not go in, we won't go, then the Lord spoke to Moses to say, for every day that those 12 spies walk the land, there will be a year wandering, circling, aimlessly, surviving. The next generation will survive. The ones whom they said about their children that our children will be devoured by the giants. God said to Moses, it will be those children who will go into the land and inherit the land that their parents refused to believe that I could give them. So 40 years, systematically, methodically, 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 that's my word, passed. And one by one, Every last one of that older generation, the parents of these children, died in an unmarked grave in the wilderness. Why? Because they wouldn't believe God, that God would do what God said he would do. But in the meantime, so that group died in the wilderness, and it was, in a sense, the discipline that they deserved. But what about this other group, this group that Moses speaks about now? They hadn't done anything wrong. They weren't old enough to make the decision. They were just there. Some of them haven't even been born yet and would be born in the wilderness. And they would grow up not having their own roof, not having a square inch of ground that they owned, not knowing where the next meal was going to come from or the next drink of water was going to come from unless God provided and supplied it. They grew up in the wilderness. Folks, listen. They grew up in the wilderness with a dream of something better, a dream of something more. The wilderness was not so powerful that it crushed the dream that God instilled in their hearts. Forty years. Forty years. All they had ever known was wandering in the wilderness. Was it punishment? They hadn't done anything wrong. They weren't old enough to decide. It wasn't punishment. It was preparation. There are two parts of the preparation. The children of Israel, the people, had to be prepared for the land. And the land that they would inherit 
had to be prepared for the people. When both sides of that equation came together, they would stand at the brink of the Jordan River not to escape from Egypt, but to move into the land of God's promise. The preparation of the people and the preparation of the land. Now, you listen to me. Let's please hear this. Let this in. You may be feeling like you're in a wilderness and it's a hard place and it's been a barren, bleak place for a long time. And that may not just be materially, financially, that may be relationally with somebody or bodies that you care greatly for or wish you had in your life, but they're not there. Understand this. Let this in, child of God. The reason for the wilderness is to prepare you for the land, but also to prepare the land for you. It's not just about you getting ready, you getting ready. It's about the place to which the Lord has in mind to take you being ready as well. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. Moses speaking to this second generation, the children who grew up in the wilderness. Verse 10. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build and houses full of all good things which you did not fill and hewn cisterns, water wells, water, water containers, massive ones, hewn cisterns, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant, and you shall eat and be satisfied. Then watch yourself, lest you forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Verse 15, for the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Verse 16, you shall not Put the Lord your God to the test, but you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, driving out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. Chapter 7, verse 7. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I just can't get over that verse 7. Out of all the nations of the world, all the people groups that the Lord could have picked, he didn't pick Israel because they were the brightest or they were the most or they had the most natural resources. He picked Israel. Just like he picks you and he picks me, not for anything that we have to offer him, but just because he set his love upon us, he chose to love us. Not because of, but what? In spite of. Paul would say in Ephesians, you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world picked out and adopted into the family. Every child who is adopted is picked out because they're wanted. They're not just the default prize. We're told that we were adopted, we're wanted, chosen, picked out, wanted, adopted into the Lord's family. 
because he just chose to love us. Folks, listen, when that, when that does another one of those 18-inch drops, it can cause the wilderness season of your life to have some strong rays of hope injected into that. Because you were picked out and chosen, the Father who picked you out and chose you, the Savior who secured that choice, is not going to waste any sorrow or any suffering or any sadness that comes your way. It only is allowed because it's taken you somewhere. It's doing something in you that could not be accomplished any other way. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore. Look at verse 12, Deuteronomy 7, verse 12. Then it shall come about, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you his covenant and his loving kindness, which he swore to your forefathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your herd the young of your flock, in the land which he swore to your fathers to give you. Now, they're not in the land yet. They're still in the wilderness, coming to the end of the wilderness season, but they hadn't crossed Jordan. They hadn't crossed that boundary river to move in. He's still stoking the dream in their heart. You are not a slave. You are an heir. You won't always be in this wilderness because you are destined for greater things than slavery and you are destined for greater things than the wilderness wanderings. You are destined to inherit a land. There is a place that is prepared for you that I'm getting you ready for. I love this, how these words just the plot just continues to build. Verse 14, you shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall be no male or female barren among you or among your cattle. And the Lord will remove from you all sickness. And he will not put on you any of the harmful diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but he will lay them on all who hate you. Verse 17, if you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I. How can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them. You shall well remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all Egypt. The great trials which your eyes saw and the signs and the wonders and the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So shall be, so shall the Lord your God be do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. And then we come to chapter 8 and verse 1. He's about to give them now the reason for the season of the wilderness. All the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do so that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. Now look at verse 2. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. It doesn't say, and you shall remember all that the devil tricked you into all that the devil did to you as the devil took you into the wilderness it wasn't the devil that took them into the wilderness folks let's get ready to have our have our vision of god expand it blow, blow out the the sides of the box folks will say god could never will a wilderness for my life god could never will a season where things are tough in my life because God just always wants me to be full and happy and free. Well, he's going to take you to a place 
that's full and happy and free. But he won't put you there until you're ready for that place because he loves you too much to let the full and happy and free place ruin you. And so he allows wilderness season. Moses says, don't treat this like this is a season that you are never to think about again. You remember the season. You remember the aspects of the season. You remember the parts of the season. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. And there he, tell, he speaks to them. What is the way? That he might humble you, testing you, see what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you. The devil didn't do it. The devil didn't do this humbling. The devil can. But he humbled you and let you be hungry. You see, if we buy into this theology that God will never allow this kind of thing in our lives, if there's anything like this, it's got to be the devil, so we just rebuke it and we stand on another promise. Whoa, now, ho, ho on. If you buy into that whole hog, then you find yourself in a position when something like that happens and you've rebuked every devil you can name, you've claimed every promise that you can think of and nothing has changed. Then what? Then we can, well, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I don't have enough faith. Maybe I don't this. Maybe No, 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 no. What if, what if, God is so loving you that he is so interested in preparing you for the awesome destiny that he has in mind for you that he is determined to instill in your heart those attributes and those characteristics that will keep prosperity and keep pleasure and keep blessing from ruining you. So he shows you what it's like to be hungry so that you can find in that place of hunger his ability to satisfy your hunger. That in that place of humbling yourself beneath his mighty right hand, you find that it wasn't that he was being mean to you. It was that he was instead trying to show you that that is the place that opens the windows of heaven. That is the place that gets the attention of glory. That is the place that will mark the doorway into the good place, the better place. He humbled you. He brought you under him. He brought you... Under, instead, of, instead of the thing that, that you've always got to be the boss, it's always got to be my opinion, and if it's not my opinion, then it must be the devil. No. What, 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 if, what if a part of this wilderness thing is all about us just saying, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. I, I, don't, I don't know why there's not more around than there is to take care of things, but, but here, here's what I do know. You are taking care of me. Somehow you are meeting my needs, and I'm going to stay low and let you be high. I come in under you. I'm going to stay in that place because I'm trusting not in me. In the wilderness, I'm learning to trust in you. Folks, when, when you got a big fat bank account, and you're the head of some organization, everybody bows and scrapes and you come into the room. That's not where you learn humility. That's not where you learn how to be fed by the hand of God. You learn how to come in low. When you're not the head of nothing. When nobody knows your name, not even the custodian in the building knows your name. Somewhere down on the deep side of you, 
Instead of it being this, I'm eating up with this self-pity and this is so awful and this is so, somehow there's a knowing in your heart. My God has not forsaken me. That this is, I'm not a slave. I'm a child of the king. And the one who loves me and has called me unto, my, unto himself is the one who is preparing me for what I will one day experience and see. You can't read this story about the children of Israel without there being something going off inside your spirit. What if that's for me to be encouraged by? The season of the wilderness to establish humility before God. That I'm nothing without you. I can't do a thing except you help me to do it. I won't be able to survive unless you take care of me, Lord. I won't be able to eat or drink unless you provide it for me. And you know what happens? That ends up being a good place instead of a miserable place. Because you're not looking to a paycheck to satisfy you. You're looking to the God of all glory who has established in your heart that he loves you. He will take care. He led you in the wilderness that he might humble you to see what was in your heart. Not so he could see what's in our hearts, but so we would see what's in our hearts. Whether we would keep his commandments or not. So that no matter who we're with, no matter where we are, for however long it takes, our choice is to stay under the covering of our God. And to do what pleases him. In the secret place, in the obscure place, in the out in the middle of nowhere place, the Lord looks and he sees that even when nobody else is looking, nobody else could get us in trouble for what we did or didn't do. We still choose to obey him. We still choose to trust him. People in the culture around us say, you're crazy, you're nuts. That makes no sense. Look what this has gotten you, dude. It's gotten you a wilderness is what it's gotten you. But in your heart, these words rise up. He humbled you, let you be hungry, fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The wilderness teaches us that if all we have is God, we have all we're going to need. Because we're seeing him in the small things that are big things. He provided manna. It was so foreign to them, they didn't know what it was. This dust that came and would cover the, the plants and, and stuff. And they'd go out every morning and harvest that. And wherever they went, there would the manna fall. They didn't even know the name of it, so they called it manna, which means what is it? And they were fed for 40 years on what is it. They got so used to what is it falling that they counted on a breakfast of what is it. They'd go to sleep at night knowing what is it's going to show up in the morning. What is it's going to feed my kids? What is it's going to feed me? What is it's going to be enough? You don't learn that in the land of plenty. You learn that when he's let you be hungry and he's feeding you. Moses said to this, to this generation, don't you forget any of the way that he has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. Because you're going to need that same kind of simple trust. Simple but strong confidence in the God who has set his love upon you. And the God who has designed you for greatness but to possess that which he has for you, you're going to have to remember and hold in your heart things that he taught you in the wilderness. He fed you 
of something you didn't even know about, nor had your father, so that you'd know that if God had promised, if God has promised, if God has promised, that's enough. Walled cities still stand, and giants with their swords and their spears. God has said, God has said, God has said the land belongs to us. He has a way of teaching us in the obscure place what we're going to need in the public place. So instead of being ashamed of the wilderness, we cherish the wilderness. We glory in the time that God took to bend low and teach us what we needed to know. Humble yourself unto me. Be determined to keep the instructions I've given you. And I will take care of the rest. For the Lord your God. Well, let me read this. Verse 4, your clothing didn't wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you ought to know in your heart, know it in your heart, not just consider it with your brain. Know it in that feeling part of you. Know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. The root, at the root of the Hebrew verb translated discipline here is the word training, preparing. Just as a father prepares his son. You understand that the Lord your God was preparing you. So all of the circumstances that have come together to cause you to think little of yourself, lower of yourself, humbling yourself under the hand of God, all of the circumstances of every type that have resulted in humbling in your heart and all the options that you could go after to ease the pain and, and, and have a little relief, you turn those things down. When you had nobody to check up on you, you turned them down because you wanted to please your God. Folks, listen. The Father is looking for men that he can elevate into a public setting who won't blow it in a bedroom, in a hotel, or in an office somewhere. And the way he knows that is that he's watched you stay on the straight and narrow. Honor him with your choices when nobody was looking. It's the choices made when nobody's looking that can determine whether or not that public place, that broader place, that place of influence is ever given to us. But that's what the wilderness is about. To show what's in our heart, whether we would keep his commandments or not, whether we would allow him to keep on training us and preparing us. It was in the wilderness that all of the law was given to Moses, every bit of it. Ten Commandments, all the laws about the Sabbath, all the determinations of how land would be apportioned when they got into the land of Canaan. Preparation, 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 preparation was the wilderness. Not punishment, but preparation. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you, present, active, is in the process, even though you're standing on the wilderness side of the Jordan River. He is bringing you into a good land. 
land of brooks of water, flowing forth in fountains and streams. It describes this place that's the exact opposite of everything they had ever known for 40 years. So listen, even though you're still in the wilderness, the God who led you there is at the same time bringing you in. And he's preparing what you will inherit just as he is preparing you for the inheritance. Let me finish with this. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. Some folks say, well, all that pastor is just old covenant. That's old law. We can't take all that too seriously. Well, see how that works for you. But just notice how similar what the Apostle Peter says in his first letter, chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. The Lord is saying to us, trust me, this wilderness where you're humbling yourself under my mighty right hand, this wilderness where you've got choices to obey or not obey, it's for a season. So that he may exalt you. So that he may exalt you. He may exalt you. We're being exalted because we're people bearing his reputation. We're being exalted because we will further his plan. Not because we're so hot, we're so great, we're so, it's, our, it's all about us. It's all about him. And that's what the wilderness is about. It will determine who it's all about in your life. If it's all about you, you buckle. If it's all about him, we hold steady and we trust. So that he may exalt you at the proper time. Then he says, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Well, the Lord understands there are places that can make us anxious, there are things that can make us worry, things that can keep us awake at night. But here's what we're supposed to do with those things. We stay under the mighty hand, and those things that bubble up and come up that trouble us, he says, you cast all of that onto him. Why? Is he going to throw them back at you? No, because he cares for you. Casting all your care, everything anxious, throw it on him. That also is present active. It means you don't do it just one time and live a week or two and never do it again. Every time you feel it, you chunk it. Every time you feel anxious, you cast it on him. That may be 400 times in the first minute of your waking day. Chunk it. Chunk it. Chunk it. Permission. Permission granted to do it. To just keep bothering him with the stuff that's bothering us. Why do we get the right to do that? Because it says he cares for you. He cares for you. And that's establishing a habit of what we do when stuff irks us, bothers us, upsets us. Instead of trying to carry it ourselves. Instead of trying to bury it. Instead of trying to work it out ourselves, we cast it on him. We cast it on him, staying under him. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, sinking something from to devour. Well, how does he devour? He devours us in our emotions. Just devour us with fear. But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And then verse 10. Every eye in this place, if you look at verse 10 in your copy, 
And after you have suffered for a little while, after you have been in the wilderness for a little while, the God of all grace, the God of all grace, grace, what is that? That's forgiveness, that's compassion, but that's enabling, empowering, equipping the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Perfect means bring it to completion, bring it to maturity, bring it to fruition. What he put in you and planted in you as a dream, what he set out in his heart to do, he will bring it to completion. He will perfect. He will confirm. He will confirm. Sometimes he just needs to confirm that in us. Lord, am I crazy? Did I just miss something here? But it says the Lord himself will confirm it. That your walk, that you're following him, that what he's doing with you, he's confirming. He's confirming. It was right. It was true. And he will strengthen you. The wilderness can drain us. The wilderness can be exhausting. And he's saying that that wilderness that lasts for a season. You come through it, and God perfects what he started out, what he began to do. He will confirm that you didn't miss it. He will confirm that you were right on target, and he'll strengthen you. And then this last word, and he'll establish you. <laughs> Think of it. He'll, he'll establish you in the place that he has been preparing you to settle into. He will establish you there. The one who holds the keys of David, who shuts and nobody opens, who opens and nobody shuts, establishes his people in the place of his choosing for them to be as he has prepared them to walk into it. Now, I know some of you listen to me, you're thinking, but it seems like I've been circling the wagons 40 years, 40 years. That seems like a, that would identify me. But in your heart, You understand, like no one else, maybe close to you, could even understand that your heavenly Father is your provider, that He is your protector. But somehow inside you, you know and, and, and have embraced that this is for a season, and I'm not going to whine and complain and gripe about the season. This is the season. I'm staying under the mighty right hand as best I can. I'm going to honor him with my choices and bless him with my decisions. I'm in it for the long haul. So if heaven is the good land he's prepared for me, so be it. I hadn't missed a thing. He's getting me ready for that place. But if there is something more in this life, a place of further influence, a place of further opportunity, fraught with further risks and more enemies. If that's what he has for me, what he's taught me in my personal wilderness, in my time alone with him, day after day, night after night, midnight after midnight, middle of the day after middle of the day, what he's taught me there, he will be good for in whatever it is that he has for me. So in everything, give thanks, as Paul would say, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I don't wait till I get to the good place to give him thanks and rejoice. I just kind of shake my head and, oh, give him thanks right here. Lord, show me where I'm getting out from under your mighty right hand, but I'm believing that that first Peter 5 verse is true, that you will exalt me at the proper time, at the proper time, when I'm ready and when the land's ready.
I love to talk to dreamers. Some of you look back at me like I'm not saying anything relevant to you. Well, you ain't a dreamer. You're just content. But those of you that got that sparkle and maybe there's something in that that's meant for me, there is something in this meant for you. I just double dog dare you to open your heart. Lord, pour this into me. If you want me to get something from this, this wilderness will not last forever. He will exalt me at the proper time. At the proper time. At the proper time. And all the dreamers said, Amen. Amen. <laughs> I'm not fussing at anybody. I just want to dare you. You're not going to die in the wilderness unless you're there by disobedience and won't repent. But if he's led you in the wilderness and your heart is open, show me, Lord, where I've missed you. Cleanse my heart, Lord, of anything that's bowing up against you, that's resisting you. Help me stay under that mighty right hand. Draw my heart more and more and more to just do what's pleasing in your sight. Lord, I want to thank you for the, the priceless, precious measure of your word to our hearts this day. Lord, I thank you that these are timeless truths. No matter our age, no matter our season in life, no matter whether we're single or married or whatever, your word is truth. Your word is powerful. Your word sets the captives free when the spirit of Jesus carries your word into our hearts. We ask you for that, and we bless you this day. We bless you this day. This wilderness will not last forever. Trust me. We hear you saying that, Lord, to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.